Jesus, we thank you so much for saving us, for offering us forgiveness of sins, for taking the initiative, Lord, to redeem a rebellious people like ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace. Thank you, Father, that we can not only have forgiveness of sins, but your very presence living within us, giving us the power to be obedient to you, giving us the power to live lives that are pleasing to you, and Lord, that it's our guarantee, Lord, that we have eternal life. And we just pray, Father, that as we read, read your word, Lord, that we will understand you better, that we'll be strengthened in our faith, uh, that even in our mind, Lord, we'll have a, a better understanding of who you are, what you've done, Lord, uh, so that anytime we are even attacked with doubts or with those who oppose or ideas that come into our mind, Lord, we pray, Lord that the truths of your word, Lord, will destroy those and knock those down, Lord, we pray, Lord that we'll truly be people who live by faith, and trust you and take you at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be Romans, Romans chapter 1. And we're just going to be staying in Romans today. Romans chapter 1. Now, if you remember, we had already read through uh, the first part of Romans chapter 1. And he, he starts off and he says, For I'm not ashamed, in verse 16 of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And in saying those two groups of people, he has just divided the world in two. The Jews, who were God's people, who God had called out very specifically from Abraham on, and then all the rest of us, all the rest of the Gentiles. So he's saying that the gospel is there, the good news is there for salvation for everyone who simply believes for the Jew and for the Gentile. We also talked about in that Roman church at that time, there were Jews and there were Gentiles. And obviously there was something going on in the church where they were having some disagreements back and forth. Throughout the New Testament, there's always disagreements going on between Jews and Gentiles. Even Paul and Peter had a disagreement over what, how the way Jews and Gentiles should act. And so when we get to this next part, from verse 18 all the way through chapter three, God's going to be dealing with the people between the Jews and the Gentiles and putting them both on a very level ground. They were going to find a way what makes them both equal. And in our day and age, we like very much to find ways that makes us all equal as people, right? No matter how different our lifestyles, no matter how different we look or how different whatever, we're always looking to find some sort of way to make everybody on the same standing. And God, Romans, very simply tells us where we all are equal and where our standing is the same. And I'll give you a sneak peek. Do you know what makes us all equal, aside from being made in the image of God? What makes us all equal is we all are sinners. That is the great equalizing thing of the entire Bible, is the truth is the fact that we are all desperate, wicked, and horrible sinners. And if you were sitting in that church back then, you would have sat down as a Jewish person, who responded in faith to Christ. You'd, you'd grown up in the synagogue. You'd heard the Old Testament read to you. Even if you were in a, in a Roman town or a Greek town, you would have had this, the, the Bible read to you. You would have been uh, circumcised on the eighth day. All the things you would have kept, all the laws and all that. And all of a sudden you hear that God has sent his Messiah and that by faith in Christ you're saved. And you respond in faith and you're sitting there at the church service. And all of a sudden you look over to your left and there is sitting your neighbor who is a Gentile pagan who just the other day had a party and you saw them sacrificing all kinds of stuff and doing some of the nastiest things you've ever seen when you looked over the fence. 
Not that fences back there, but you get the idea, right? They look over <laughs> and someone's doing the nastiest thing you could ever believe. And all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, that person says that their life has been changed. They responded to faith in Christ and now they are saved. And you look and you start hearing the fact that you're both children of God, that you both belong to Christ, that you both are saved, that you're both of the elect, that you're both all these things, all these incredible things that you as a Jew would say, hey, this belongs to me. And of course, because God came to save us. And you realize this person's been saved as well. Some of the Jews had a problem with that. How can that be? How can I have been living this way this whole time and respond to faith? And I have proof that I'm a Jew. And this person was doing some of the nastiest stuff you'd ever believe in the world just the other day. And now they're on an equal footing with me in Christ. This beginning part of saying, but let's talk about where we all began. Yes, they're a nasty sinner. But even though you think your life was a clean little thing going on, at the end of the day, you're a nasty sinner as well. And that's what's going to be going on here. But he's going to start with the Gentiles. Okay, so let's go there. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. I'm going to read through the rest of chapter 1, then we're going to go back and work our way through it. Verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the simple desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who was forever praised. Amen. Because of this. God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also prove of those who practice them. So let's go back when we get to verse 18. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. The, this, the statement of the wrath of God is revealed. Some of your versions may say is revealed, has been revealed, is being revealed. Either way, the wrath of God is always being revealed out in this world about what he feels about godless wickedness. He say, well, 
how was that? I haven't seen God come down and stand on the, the ground and start striking people down. Every single day, people die. Every day, people are dying. Natural causes, unnatural ones, horrible ones, all these different through war, whatever. People are dying. Why are people dying? Every death that happens is a result of God's punishment against sin. We sin, therefore we die. That's the punishment. For the wages of sin is what? Death. We know that we have a physical death, and then there's also a spiritual death that lasts forever when we don't know him. So the very fact that each and every day people are dying, that we can turn on the news and see war going on and things like that, the wrath of God is being revealed because, in essence, he is not stopping it. It even says over here that he gives them over. You all want to do it? Go ahead. He removes the boundaries, lets people just keep on going and going and going. That is a form of his wrath also. No different. It's so hard for the kids to understand for you and I when we finally get so frustrated with our kid. And we're like, you know what? Do it. Just do it. I've been trying to help you avoid this. I've been trying to help you not get into something. But you know what? Go ahead and do it. And we're thinking in our minds, I'm so foolish because I've done that. And I know exactly what's going to happen. But if they need to learn it themselves, then just go and get yourself hurt and do it. God says to the world, you know what? Do you want it? Go for it. All gloves are off. You do what you want to do and just go for it. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. We see throughout the Old Testament, though, also, we see where God has had direct intervention. Also, you saw where God said he wanted the Babylonians. When they come over, I'm going to come over and get them because they were too ruthless. They went far above and beyond anything I even told them to do. He did the same thing with Israel. There are times he does intervene also in our world and our times. There are times he does intervene in the lives of people when, they've, when enough is enough and deals with sin also. So God is not setting the stage and then backing away from the whole thing. God is intimately involved in the things of the world. But just because we see everything breaking loose, it doesn't mean that God has gone and disappeared. It just He may just be saying, this is part of your punishment. Just go ahead. Even the things when we do, when we do work and we do activities and we do things, and you realize at the end of the day, how long does anything last? It does last all of our ambition, all of our work, all of our creativity, all of it. At the end of the day, when we die, all of that stuff eventually will die and decay with it. Even the very futility of our world and the meaninglessness of many things in life, we realize is also the result of God's wrath. God is subjected, says in Romans 8, subjected the world to futility. He subjected it to futility. That is part of the, the curse. So that we would look and say, this doesn't make any sense. And then we would turn and ask why. And that would give us the answer. It's because of sin. And we need a Savior. So the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. Why do people die? Why is there futility? Why is all this stuff the way it is? Why are people able to do whatever they want? It's because of the godlessness and wickedness of you and I. But men, it's not the natural environment, right? It's not from something in outer space. It is because of us. We own that. As a human race, every single human being that lives, our godlessness and our wickedness is what brings on the wrath of God. It's the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. This is what's incredible. The more sinful we become, in essence, the more stupid we become too. The more sinful we become, we actually suppress the truth 
by our ungodliness. And that the smarter and smarter we think we are in the world and doing things in the world in the way we make, we frame things, you know, we can define gender now, we can define sex, we can define all these types of things. And all of those things in sin, we're actually suppressing the truth. We're suppressing what is right. And we're getting dumber and dumber and more confused by the minute. Where now we can't even define what a person is, what a man is, what a woman is. Soon we won't be able to define what an animal is. It's what anything is. By what? By our wickedness. Because of our sin. When we suppress the truth of God, we actually end up believing a lie. But now get this, verse 19. Since... What may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Okay. He is not talking to Jewish people who have read the Old Testament. He's talking to that guy in that tribe deep in the Amazon forest that no one's ever talked to before, that no one's ever given the gospel before. He's saying this to him or her. Well, wait, what about those who've never heard? The Bible says, guess who's heard? Everyone. It's just like, you know, this house is a very simple shape. It is a, it's like a, a rectangle. That garage is a square, right? Super simple in terms of its shape, right? Even at the top, it comes to a triangle. Simple shapes, every room is a very simple shape as well, right? Even what's in here is there's not, there's drywall, some electrical thing, and some plumbing. I mean, it doesn't take a whole heck of a lot. But you and I all know that this just didn't come up by nothing. Right? Someone actually designed this. And believe it or not, the engineering involved in a house, and even the way the waters run off the land, the way the whole thing is designed, is pretty, pretty incredible when you think about it. But yet, there's some simplicity to it. It's incredible enough that you and I know that this didn't happen by chance. Right? And even though it's, it's simple and some of it's, it's things, we still know that it still takes somebody to try to have to put this thing together. So if I were to tell you, you know what? In 2015, when we came here, it just... Was it? It disappeared. Who did it? I don't know. Time, time, and <laughs> random processes, and it just it just came up. Or an alien came and brought it down. Or or uh, I mean, I mean, I could make up any type of thing to say this is what brought this house here. But you look and say, but no, I mean, yeah, it's very simple. You know, it's not that big, but it's simple and it's a simple shape. But I think someone built this. You know, Kevin could say, well, I lived here back before two thousand, and I drove around this place and. There was nothing but trees here and things like that here. And like in 2001, like they, they built this. People, we built this here. You and I walk around each and every day. We look at our world around us. And everything about it is more complex and more specific and more processes going on that you and I can't even fathom, right? Even when we look at bees and the way they behave, right? I mean, it's just incredible. And, and ants and some of the things, and that is just not even scratching the surface of what's even in this world that we still haven't discovered, just on this planet alone, and the way it's designed, the way it's made, and the way animals move, and the way the process work, and the environment, all these things that we can't even possibly wrap our minds around, let alone the entire universe. And we look at that, and we have to ask the question, where did it come from? The Bible says, just creation alone is enough to say, you have no excuse. Because you and I are made in God's image, and he has given us enough of an intellect to ask the question, where that's from? I wonder who made that, right? You go past them and say, that's a really neat thing that person made. How about we look around at creation and go, who made this? Who 
made it. But what does our world tell us today? And what has the pagan world said in the past? When asked, who made it? Usually it comes down to it was either a rock or some animal being or something in space, some celestial being. Or in our day and age, we got the, even the best one of all. Nothing. Nothing made it. It just happened. Even from a common sense, it makes no sense. Why in the world do we believe it? We believe it because we suppress the truth by our godlessness and wickedness. Our sin makes us stupid, and we believe a lie. And God says, but you still have no excuse. So that person sitting in the tribe on Amazon, they have enough knowledge to know that God made this. And if they reject it and decide to worship whatever thing they worship, they have no excuse. That's a pretty harsh statement. What may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, that's important, the creation of the world, it implies that there is a creator who made it. And when you look at our world around us, our creator is incredibly powerful, incredibly smart, incredibly wise, incredibly good and gracious and loving, incredibly complex. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, what are those qualities? His eternal power and divine nature. When you look around us at the world today, did it not take an incredible intellect and incredible power to make this out of nothing? Absolutely, in all of its complexity. And what about his divine nature? What does it say about God? He's good, he's loving, he's kind, he's gracious. These things are evident in creation. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Creation alone is enough. Creation alone is enough for us to go and say there has to be a God. And what God says, even in the Old Testament, if you seek me, guess what? You'll find me. But do you know what's amazing? Even though we look up at the sky, we look up at everything around us, how many people actually go after and seek for God? No. Why do you think God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins? He came to seek us out. Romans 1, uh, verses uh, 21. Listen to this. So you, may, yeah, you would ask the question. It's like, okay, I, I get it. I get the wrath of God is being revealed against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. I get it that creation alone should be enough. But what happened? What, what, like, what, what was it that suddenly happened that made people just, just decide not to retain the knowledge of God and just to throw, throw them off and throw them aside and go and be as godless and wicked as they can be. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. I mean, think about this. We know about Adam and Eve, and we know it just took Cain and Abel before things really went off the rails, didn't it? Okay? Let's go beyond that. Let's go 1,400 years later. We have Noah in the ark. Right? God comes through and just obliterates everything with a flood that he had promised 120 years prior. Noah and his family, they build the ark. Noah and his family go into the ark. They're safe from the flood. They're stuck on the waters for over a year. So finally, they see the waters go away. They get out in the world, and the world is a completely different place than it was 
after they left the ark. At what point in time did the families just Shem, Ham, and Japheth forget everything? I mean, they knew what the world was before that. When you read about what the world was before the flood, it was a terrifying place. There were literally giant people, giants on the land. There were probably were dinosaurs and all. I mean, it must have been just a hot mess going on in the world at that time. So bad that God said, we got to end this thing. This is a mess. You had a, a complete disaster going on. Those people saw that. They were on the ark. They got off there. They were saved in an amazing way, literally with all these animals that came to them, right? And it was there. At what point in time did they say, let's worship the rock? Let's worship the sun. Let's worship that lizard. At what point in time did it take? And if we look at Israel as an example, it did take more than 40 days of Moses being up on Sinai with God coming down from fire on it for them to say, let's worship a cow. Because it says here, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. They didn't glorify him as God. We have a very hard time with that. It goes against everything within us to want to glorify God. Why? Because who do I want to glorify? Me. Why? Because at the end of the day, who do I want to be? I want to be God. It goes right back to the big, what did Satan say? He's holding out on you. He knows that if you eat this, you're going to be just like him. Knowing good and evil, at the end of the day, we all just want to be God. We want to be at the center of everything. They don't glorify. So we don't glorify God as who he is, just based on his eternal power and divine nature. We don't glorify him for being God. We now have a big problem because now we start believing that we are much bigger than we actually are. We start forgetting who he is. And look at this. No one gave thanks to him. I mean, do you ever think about how well suited we are to this planet? Right? Science will tell you what we adapted over many, many eons and changed it to the planet. No, 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 no. It's the other way around. God made this entire planet specifically for you and I to live and thrive on. For us to use everything. I mean, just think that we can use everything on this earth. We can take things out of rock and make microchips. We can pull liquid out of it and fuel cars. We can cut down trees and build houses. We can chew up rock and squish it together and make drywall and put paper on the other end of it. We can mix materials and make paint. I mean, everything in this planet we can use for some creative purpose. The plants feed us. We can eat the animals. The air, we don't even have to worry about the air. We just, we just breathe it we're good. We can keep on going. Our bodies, when they get cut, they actually heal themselves. It sounds like a wonderland. It sounds like a fantasy if we really turn around and think about it. This thing is incredible. But the thing is, is who do we thank for it? How about life itself? Who gave us life? God had to breathe life into people. And that breath of life has been sustaining people from Adam and Eve throughout all generations till God comes back. So you and I wouldn't even be able to think, reason, see, hear, speak, eat, exist without God. How have we thanked him for it? You think of the old folks who say, I thank God that I woke up this morning. Well, we should actually kind of be like that all the time. It's incredible that I can breathe, that this heart keeps pumping. I have to worry about that motor running. Right? He says that we didn't give glory to him, nor give the, if you're not glorifying God and realizing who he is, well, of course you're not going to thank him. I remember there was a gentleman that came to the bank. He drove a really cool Mercedes, really 
black, awesome thing. Came in kind of a nice guy, but he had a kind of a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. And when you drive away, you'd see on the back of his license plate, and it said, I earned it. Well, you probably did. I mean, he did the sacrifice of a few wives and his family a few times. So he earned it. But did he really? Right? Who gave you luck? I mean, anytime we put the word I in front of anything, we should really take a step back and go, mm, I don't know. Guy ain't all that hot. And anything that we really have is because of the goodness and the grace of God. The fact that I can go to work, the fact that I can do a job, whatever that is, all of it is giving thanks to God. They, but the problem is they didn't know God because they neither glorified him as, or although they knew him, they didn't glorify him nor gave thanks. And that was the beginning of the problem. So at what point in time when the family of Shem, Ham, and Japheth get off the boat? How long did it take before they started just really just throwing it off and going down a really bad path? And when you and I look at this and say, this is stupid. But why do we do it? We can't help but do it. Why? Because we have a problem, and it is called sin. It infects every Gentile that has ever lived. That's a non-Jew. And then we'll come up next week or so, and we're going to find out that the Jews have the exact same problem we do. Possibly worse, because they knew a little bit more. It says this. But their thinking became futile. What does it mean, futile? Their thinking became completely and utterly meaningless. You ever watch the news sometimes? You hear the things going on, the debates are going, and you think this is the dumbest thing I've ever listened to, and I can't believe these smart people are actually saying it. Right? And it is not because you and I are filled with all kinds of intellect. And it's not because you and I have a great dose of common sense because we're middle America. Right? Maybe it's because you and I are just simply believers in Christ and we know the truth. And we can actually identify when something is the biggest line, the stupidest thing you ever heard. Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. It got worse. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. This is where we're so stupid. And all our ancestors. The smarter we get, the more complex the religious system we design and make. And yet we end up worshiping the most common thing you could ever think. God goes through it all the time in the book of Isaiah, in the book of Ezekiel, in the book of Jeremiah. He goes and explains, he goes, you guys cut down a tree, you chop up the wood, you burn the wood to cook your food, and then you take a different piece of that same wood, carve an idol, and worship it, and thank it for the fire and for the food. Of the same wood that you're burning. How can you do that? But yet, you and I will create some elaborate things and end up at the end of the day worshiping the very things that God made for us to use. And we'll turn around and worship it. And then we'll go even further, we'll worship ourselves. That's probably our problem nowadays, is we worship self. We worship identity. We worship our what we want to worship, us. Or we'll worship some inanimate object, or worship a chair, a rock, something up in the sky. And he says that we exchange the glory of the immortal God for images. We think we're wise to become fools. Even the smartest people of our day or of our last century, the smartest folks, the folks who can figure out all kinds of scientific stuff that's actually usable, when it comes time for them to figure out the origins of the universe, the best, the best they can come up with is that it happened from an explosion. An adaptation 
and changes over a long period of time. What started the explosion? We don't know. What happened to it? We don't know. What was there before? We don't think anything. But there must have been something. And ever since then, it just kept swirling and swirling and expanding and expanding and changing and changing. And now we have what we have. So where did you and I come from? The best we've come up with is you. We probably came from a common ancestor that is related to an ape. Well, where did he come from? Well, by the time you work your all the way down, it was probably just this group of proteins that formed into amoeba that eventually walked out of the slime pit. That is the best and the smartest and the brightest we can come up with is that, at least since the mid-1800s. That's the best. What does that say about us? We just take a step back and go, that doesn't make any sense. Does that explain, explain the complexity of relationships and the thinking and the things that we can create and do and that we are truly different than the animal kingdom and think that, that we even ask the question, why and where is it from and why do we exist and what's the point and all these different types of things? Even they have a struggle with it. They call it a great illusion that we even think about those things. Well, we know that it's not possible, but we just live in a fairyland with that. It doesn't make sense when we exchange the glory of God the only thing we can exchange it with is something really ridiculous. Something that we have to make up or something that's physical that we end up worshiping. Instead of taking a step back and going, wait a second, we're level simple. Look at this. There's something outside of us that's truly much more powerful and divine and incredible that made this. That's different than you or I or anything that we see. So what happens? We went from a time where they came off the Noah's Ark and at a certain point in time, they go through this whole process, like every culture has gone through the same process where we exchange the truth of God for a lie. We worship all kinds of crazy stuff. We believe all kinds of things. We think we're wise, we become fools. And we come to verse 24. Therefore, God did something. His wrath was revealed by doing this. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. You know, God can set the curves even in our existing can. Okay, you can't go any further than this. Just like we do with our children. He removed the curves. Go for it. What we see in our day and age, day and age is looks like Mr. Rogers compared to the early church. Right? And I even think early church looks like, you know, a preschool compared to what was going on even before the fall. But it can get really bad really fast. And it's nothing new. It's what people do when they throw off the knowledge of God. Anything goes. And since anything goes, we can't define who's a man, who's a woman, what marriage is, what it's not, who can be with who. And it just gives out to straight out confusion. That is a picture of God's wrath still happening in our world today. The very fact that we can't even figure that stuff out. Listen to this. He gives them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. And where does it go right to? To sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Because when it comes to sexual impurity, that's where we're actually doing something that hurts ourselves. It's degrading. It's impure. It's hurtful. It's self-harmful. It's not even about, about going after somebody else. No, no. It's about this actually is uh, something that degrades us. And whose image were we made in? God's image. And who made us? God. And who set the rules of the universe? God. So who has the charge to dictate how we're supposed to live our lives the way he intended to be made? 
God. You and I don't define that stuff. God does. Says this, verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Does that sound like a good thing? Shameful lusts? It's a bad thing. So we know the list he's going to give after this are things that are wrong. Today, more than even 20 years ago, these things here are not only considered right and great, they're sometimes even considered preferable. But God calls them shameful lust. He says, this is kind of an example of how bad it can get. Now, they're not necessarily the worst of all the sins, because all sin is just sin, because he's going to list on all the other bad ones. But he says, if you want to see kind of a representation of what it looks like in the world, right in your face of how bad it can get, it looks like this. And look at this. Even their women exchange natural relations for unnatural ones. What does that mean? Instead of women being with men, women decide to prefer to be with other women in the same way that a married couple would be. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. So instead of a man wanting to be married to a woman, a man instead wants to be with another man. And what does God call that? He calls that shameful, degrading, exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Because when we go back at the beginning, God simply made man in his own image. Does God need anybody? No. And he made a human being in his own image, in his own likeness, and just made him and had him living with everything, all the world, the world with all the animals and all this stuff around him. But then God says, you know what? It's not good for this guy to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. And so he fashions out a woman, different, distinct. And he brings the two together, and they become one. And God now defines what human relationships are to look like. The closest any person can be in a loving relationship with another human being is a man with a woman or a woman with a man, period. Why? Because that's the way God made it. We don't need any uh, other argumentation, physically, emotionally, uh, culturally, all that stuff. We can read all that stuff. Other than simply this. God says this is the way it's supposed to be. What God has joined together, let no man separate. That's the way God made it. So anything outside of that is an example of us throwing off the fetters of God and doing exactly what we want to do and degrading ourselves in that way. So he says, can you believe it? Women chose other women instead of being with men, and men choose other men instead of being with women. It's incredible. Can you believe what's going on? Look at what's going on in front of us. And in the early church at that time, it was rampant in the early church. That's what the pagans were doing before. And when they were getting saved, they were leaving that. That was part of their pagan worship was those actions. Again, it would make our people today blush what was going on there. And he says this, verse 28. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. 
Now this list is gonna give us the rest of things that ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. So let's just take a, you know, as we're reading through this list, let's think about what we've seen online, right, this morning, yesterday, what we saw on TV, what we've heard on the radio, what we even saw driving down the road. Have we seen wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity? Keep on going. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's the devil. It's the devil, yeah. Um, they are gossips, slanderers, God haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, if that's not the truth. It's the truth today. We just do it with technology. Was it the true back then? Was it true in his time? Was it true before that? It's always been true. We are creative, but we use our creative energy to do things that are wrong. This list of things are horrible things, arrogant, slanderous. This is God's wrath is being revealed from heaven because of this. It's, it is the homosexual stuff as well as this. It's just this stuff. How do you see greed in the heart of a person? I can see sexual depravity in the relationships that they choose. But when it comes to arrogance and greed and envy and boastfulness and being a God hater, sometimes those things we can keep hidden while we even sit inside of a church. But God's wrath is revealed because of those things as well. This one goes good. They invent ways to reveal. They are they disobey their parents. Okay, this is a big one. All right, for those of us who disobeyed our parents in the past, to those people or young people today who disobey their parents, when we disobey God put in front of us and in charge of us, insolence, arrogance, slanderers, murderers, greed is in the same list is disobedient to parents. Why? Because it's sin. <laughs> We're gonna do a one-on-one with you. <laughs> we want a two-on-one. We're just gonna really learn how. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. If you don't know crush, that is you. If you want to define yourself in this world today, <laughs> You don't need to define yourself as he, she, they, them, this, whatever they're pronoun. No, no, no. <laughs> define yourself as senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That is you if you don't know Christ. That is everybody who didn't know Christ and who doesn't know Christ. That is that is the, the definition of our great-great-grandparents when they were born, when they didn't know Christ because of sin. That is the definition of them. And it does not discriminate based on gender, creed, orientation, ethnicity, race, anything like that. It is equal opportunity. Everybody is that aside from Christ. And that is why the wrath of God is revealed. Why do people die? Why are things the way they are? Why is there all this stuff going on? Why can people live the way they do? They're doing it and God has it because of his wrath, because of you, because of your sin, because you suppress the truth of God by your wickedness. That is why things are the way they are. So does that mean that you and I can solve the problem? No. Who can solve it? Only God himself and what he did on the cross. That's it. And he says this, although they know God's righteous decree, verse 32, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. What do you mean not everybody knows that? 
you know what? I don't know if there's a culture anywhere in this world that when someone else murders another person in that culture, what usually happens to that person who murdered them? They're gone. They're gone. It doesn't matter. No one celebrate when they murder somebody. They're killed. They're, they're eliminated because you're going to end up murdering someone that someone loves, and they're going to go after them. We know that there's something intrinsically wrong about that. No one likes a liar. Even when they believe the liar, they only trust them far enough that it benefits them. But eventually, at the end of the day, they don't like the person who lies. All of these things, this list of stuff that we read here, if I were to read that out into a public forum at a political rally or anything like that, and if I went on this list of things that I would say I disagree with, I think I'd get a number of votes because they'd say, yeah, that's all bad stuff. We don't like that. He's saying that people know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death because those things are bad. They not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Why do people approve of that stuff? Why do we keep voting for these people? Why do we keep following these people? Why do these people keep getting in charge of this? Because of sin. We have a desperate and horrible problem. And it has been a problem ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, all the way up until our day. And as long as the Lord tarries, it will continue to be a problem. And it is called sin. And it's a huge problem that we have that is only solved. Not by human means. Not by religious means. Not by, there's no money that can buy it. There's no actions that we can do to solve it. The only thing that we can do is simply say to the one true God that we rejected, I'm sorry. We repent of sins and ask for forgiveness because of what he's done at the cross. Well, how do we know how he feels about it? The cross. What's he going to do about it? He took the penalty. What's he promised to do? To forgive. And then what is he going to do? He's going to put his spirit in within you so that you can actually live in a right way. For what purpose? To guarantee that when he comes back and judges, his wrath will pass over you and you'll go home to be with him forever. Are we the senseless, the faithless, the heartless, or the ruthless? Or are we the repentant and forgiven? Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray, Father, that will do its work in our hearts and our lives, that it will do the convicting, that it will do the changing. Lord, I pray that we will truly respond in faith to you and be obedient to you. I pray, Father, that just because we uh, sit in a, a smaller room, Lord, with just a few people, um, that, are, that we don't have an arrogance, that think, oh, I'm okay, I'm all right. Lord, but we'll truly have a good reflection in our heart, Lord. If your word has convicted us of sin, Lord, that we'll ask you for forgiveness of sins. Repent, and that you'll do a wonderful work of salvation in our hearts, Lord. And that we'll live a life that's faithful to you, that lives for you in whatever task you've given us to do in this life, Lord, that enjoys you, Lord, and that uh, lives a life that's glorifying to you, Lord, so that when you do come back or when we do perish, Lord, that we have wonderful eternal life with you. We pray, Lord, that you bless the rest of our day, the rest of our week. Help us remain faithful in Jesus' name. Amen.